Hi, this is Mark Woods back with another Page One podcast, and today I have Tessa Duvall with me. Um, first of all, I think Tessa was destined to be working for us here with that last name. <laughs> two L's, two L's, though. Um, and she does a great job of covering juvenile justice, kids, kind of both um, the research, the reporting, both kind of broad national issues, but also the stuff that's hyper-local. So it's it's the kind of thing that I think, um, you know, I'm proud that we have in our paper, and you do a great job, so thanks for what you do. Thank you. Um, and wanted to start with, you know, a good one example of that is what you, story you had in Sunday's paper um, about how gun violence in poor areas affects kids there uh, more than other areas, and how even, you know, I found it interesting, it makes sense, but how it's not just kids who are physically scarred by it, but how it mentally it affects them too. So tell tell people about that story. Yeah, so UF Health Jacksonville just had a new study that came out recently um, looking at 20 years worth of pediatric gunshot wounds. So um, up to and including the age 18, all, um, all young people who were shot and treated at the hospital. And what they found is you know, every single year and in total, kids who lived in 32209 were disproportionately the victims of uh, of, of gun violence, of, of physically being shot by a gun. And so that that is scary and traumatic enough on its own. But then think about what that means. So if, if you're a kid in 32209, not only are you more likely to be a victim of gunshot violence, you're also more likely to grow up around it and to hear it and to see it and to know people who are affected. I mean, we know from, you know, just reporting at the Times Union and and keeping our own data on homicides in Jacksonville, how many happen in 32209, it always leads. So think about what that does to a kid mentally to know people who not just die, but die violently. Um, and to potentially see it or to hear it. I mean, that puts kids in this heightened sense of fight or flight. And so what we're learning now, and I say we, um, what brain scientists and, and healthcare providers are learning is how toxic stress and you know PTSD can literally change the brains of children. They can rewire kids' brains so that they... Um, are hypervigilant, they have all these physical manifestations of the, the trauma that they're going through, and they might present themselves as being confrontational or defiant or having, um, you know, attention um, disorders. But really, these are all symptoms of PTSD and the trauma that they're being repeatedly exposed to in their, in their environments. Right. Yeah. And I found it fascinating to, like, I said, and like we, I think a lot of we would assume this, but to have it kind of documented scientifically and and illustrate how that is changing brains is is pretty remarkable. I know it it seems obvious to a lot of people who read the story, like oh yeah, a neighborhood with more crime has more kids that are shot, but it has to be said. I mean, we can't just go off of 
assumptions. It needs to be documented and problems have to be documented before we can talk about solutions. I mean, this is a study while I know a lot of people read it and said, okay, yeah, we know that. Well, if we've known it, why has no one ever done anything about this? Like now it's documented, now it's proven, now it's in your face and people should be, city leaders should be grappling with this. Mm -hmm. Um, It's undeniable now. You Mm -hmm. can't refute this. This is a good study of close to 900 kids over 20 years and nothing has changed. Um, That's just crying out for a solution. Right. And then another one that you've had recently that ties right into this was after the shootings at the landing. um, Basically, where do kids get guns? And I found that fascinating that explain not only what it how you went about answering that question and what you found yeah so the weekend of the landing shooting we also had a shooting at Rains high school um in which one young man and two students uh, one young man died and two students were injured um and it turned out that the shooter was uh the alleged shooter is 16 and so i pulled that story together um as a part of a larger project that I've been working on um, for the last year, year and a half, um, where I have actually been exchanging letters with a lot of incarcerated people who are from Duval County and are currently serving sentences for their roles in murders or manslaughters. Um, And so, you know, a lot of these individuals um, have been talking to me, exchanging letters with me for the last year. And one of the things I had done um, was like, hey, I'm trying to get, learn a lot about you guys and your lives, you know, but I'm, I'm writing to a lot of folks. Can you guys take this survey? And so I can kind of get everybody to answer the same questions. And so um, more than 20 people have, have taken that survey. And so what I did for the story about where kids get guns is I ask people who are serving sentences for murders and manslaughters who were kids who had guns and unfortunately um, those incidents led to the loss of life and so what I learned in that story is that it's it's like scary easy mm-hmm. to get a gun if you're a kid in Jacksonville in certain parts of Jacksonville for sure and again that's kind of one of those things where some people are like well yeah duh but there are communities in Jacksonville where people have no idea I mean I didn't grow up in Jacksonville. I'm from Kentucky originally, and I had an exchange with one young man where I said, you know, where did you get your gun? And he, it's almost like he didn't understand the question because <laughs> it was like it was like I was messing with him because that just seemed like such an, an obvious question to him. Mm. So what I learned in, in talking to these individuals is that a lot of kids carry guns because they're scared, mm-hmm. because everybody else is carrying a gun, and do you really want to be the only one without one? in a neighborhood where maybe you feel like the police won't help you or the police can't get to you in time um, or maybe you have older individuals in your life who are giving you the gun, you have friends who are gonna give you one or you can buy them for really, really cheap. Um, And a big part of this is where these guns are coming from is they're stolen from unlocked vehicles. This is something that JSO has been like, you know, beating its fists about for a couple of years because it's such an easy thing to just lock your car. But more than 600 guns have been stolen each of the last two years Hmm. from unlocked vehicles. Those are just unlocked. Those are not like vehicles where the windows smashed out. These are just like super easy. Open the door, take it and Hmm. head on to the next car. So um, 
I think it's important to take away from that story. Not that it's easy for kids to get guns. I mean, that's that's a good thing to know. But the why, I think the why of it is really interesting that there is a legitimate fear in some neighborhoods for kids that they feel like that's their best way to protect themselves and their mm-hmm. families. I've heard that over and over and over. And while it sounds ridiculous to a lot of us that a 15-year-old might want a gun so they can feel safe, in their 15-year-old minds, that's a very, very rational reason to want a gun. Mm-hmm. And obviously, a lot of these stories, this, this isn't just a, a beat for you. This is something you're passionate about. Why, why would you say you're passionate about this? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, it's, it's grown into this, I think. Um, I've always been really interested in writing about education, children's issues and while my my beat at the times union isn't so much like traditional education where i'm not covering a superintendent or administrative issues or teacher pay or things like that i'm really interested in how a society prepares its children for the future and in jacksonville i think the unfortunate reality is that a lot of kids are being left behind so, like, my interest in, you know, where do kids get guns and, you know, about understanding these children who are serving murder and manslaughter sentences is they ended up in those circumstances for a reason. Like, kids aren't just born killers. So there's something happening in these kids' lives. And, you know, I think the study on, on pediatric gunshot wounds is is telling. Like, we have crime concentrated in an area where kids are exposed to a lot of violence like Mm -hmm. that's all connected and so i feel like what i can do is to help put these children and these young people and yeah i know some people just say well you know they're they're murderers they kill people they're irredeemable but there's still a reason that they ended up where they did and it's because adults failed them very early on in life i mean these kids have gone through really significant traumas, had a lot of um, family dysfunction, were exposed to a lot of violence in their neighborhoods and in their schools and lacked good role models. Um, And all of those things have a bearing on, on where they are now. And so I feel like part of my job is to help people understand the full picture. And the full picture is not just this crime happened and this bad person did it. It's understanding what were the last you know, 16, 18 years of their life like and what was their parents' life like and what was their neighborhood like and all of those things affect, you know, a lot of the problems that people are talking about in Jacksonville right now. Sure. Um, Okay, and to switch gears slightly, but not completely, I wanted to talk to you about TEDx Jacksonville. Um, This weekend, October 20th, I'll be doing it at um, Florida Theater but a few years ago, you did it. What, what year was what year? Uh, 2015. Okay. Yeah. So it's been a, been a few years, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited and terrified and all those things. So, yeah, I know so how So I was going to pick your brain. Um, so first of all, no, give your talk in 30 seconds. No, um, do, could you still give it today, do you think? Is it, in, is it embedded in there somewhere? 
a lot of it, a lot of it is. I just rewatched it for an event that I was at recently and was like, I'm still mouthing a lot of this. And I think it, there are parts of it that will never leave your brain. <laughs> well, you had a good intro with a funny anecdote about a kid saying, what was it? Uh, only old, old only people. old people read newspapers. Yes. Um, <laughs> So maybe, yeah, briefly sum up what, what your talk was about. It does tie into what we've already been talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. So my talk was about the leadership schools at Eugene Butler Middle School, which basically for a long time, um, Butler, the name Butler in Jacksonville had carried this like stigma, this reputation of being a really tough school with failing grades. And, you know, people didn't want to send their kids there until a few years ago when the district implemented two single gender leadership academies. So the boys had their own school and the girls had their own school. And um, basically, I mean, it was just doing a lot to change the culture, the perception, um, the performance of the school and so I spent it was one of my first big stories for the Times Union back in early 2015 I just spent a lot of time at the school getting to know teachers and students and um learning how one of the things that I really took away from that was learning how knowing what adults say and other kids say about their school and how it was a bad school Mm -hmm. how it really affected their perception of like themselves and um of their worth and so one of my challenges or one of my um components of my talk was not only kind of recapping the progress of the school but was also telling people hey adults when you call a school a bad school the kids hear you they know what they're saying you know mm-hmm. they know what you're saying and they feel like it's about them like your adults cut that out <laughs> uh, so it's challenging people's perceptions of these schools and getting them to again understand the challenges that contribute to the reason that things are the way they are right and yeah you did a did a great job with yours so i was gonna pick your brain on that i've done that a little bit already but so so how did you rehearse for it how did you practice i think there was a month solid where i gave up listening to anything for fun (laughs) there was no more uh radio in the car or podcasts or audiobooks or anything like that it was just my voice saying the talk on a, an audio note on my phone that I listen to over and over and over and you get so sick of the sound mm. <laughs> of your voice. Um, that I think was the biggest way. Um, and practicing with people, mm. you, you know, not just, um, so at, at TEDx Jacksonville, um, and disclaimer, I am a volunteer on the team now, <laughs> um, but you, we have coaches. So like you don't, so Ted kind of has this magic, right? Where like people see a Ted talk and like, oh my God, this is, what what, a, what an amazing speaker. How can I ever speak like that? Well, spoiler alert, there's a coach um, and they're, they're really good at, at helping the speakers get through that. Um, so working with people who aren't your coach, like can you show someone who's never heard your talk before hmm. and get their thoughts? Like, you know, is there something that you thought was really clear but maybe they weren't following or maybe they felt like um a part was rushed i mean just getting feedback from a few different people who Mm. are less invested in it um who haven't kind of seen it morph over time i think is also really helpful yeah it's funny you mentioned that rushed because i think that's my tendency and a i don't love public speaking but who does (laughs) so we started the first time uh you know, just reading it, and my coach said, okay, first of all, you have to slow way down. And, and I think in general, I talk slowly. I'm more thinking out every word. So that in that case, I was going too fast. So 
in watching yours, yeah, you were good about, okay, you kept it nice and smooth, but then you were able to pause and let something kind of hang there, which I think is hard to do because you feel like, oh, it's silent. I've got to, I've got to get to the next line. How did, how did you? So the audience will react more than you think that they will. Um, which is kind of another reason to show it to a few other people before you take the stage. Um, something might get a bigger laugh or a bigger sigh, or you might see facial reactions that you didn't necessarily expect at certain moments. Hmm. Um, and so all of those like laughter, all those moments don't necessarily get picked up on the video that you see later. Hmm. But also remember you have the video to fall back on. Like you want to do a good job for the live audience, but if you forget a line or if, for example, a fly lands on the end of your nose, like actually happened to me. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. I, it was circling around my head. And then at one point it just lands on the end of my nose. And at that point, I have to swat it away. <laughs> and I said to the audience, I am so sorry, guys. A fly just landed on my nose. I'm going to start that sentence over. And so I took a breath. And I started the same sentence over. And so when you watch the video, you have no idea that that happened because editing is a beautiful thing. So if you get flustered, Hmm. don't power through it. Take a breath and start it over Hmm. and no one will know the difference. Hmm. Like that video, that gave me so much peace of mind going into the process. Like if I really screw this up and I go blank for 30 seconds, no one has to know a mm. month from now when the video's online. Mm. Mm. Okay, I'll try and remember that. I don't know if that gives me comfort or not. But maybe. The other thing I would say, and Al Letson, who was a speaker early on in, in TEDx Jacksonville's origins, um, told me going into it that you're in a room full of friends. Nobody there wants you to fail. Mm. People want to see you succeed. They're pulling for you. Um, and not just because they've paid to be at the event but because they're they're genuinely interested people Hmm. so people you know you're not speaking to a room full of people who want to see you fall flat on your face you're speaking to people (laughs) who want to see you kill it you Mm. know who really really nail it Hmm. right they've been emphasizing this is the the most supportive crowd you'll have it really is okay okay (laughs) Hmm. you sound unconvinced but it's true (laughs) glad when it's over but i'm i'm excited about it i am so i'm honored to be a part of it um well thanks so much and yeah keep following tessa on jacksonvault.com and i'm sure you can find your ted talk if you what just yeah if you just google tessa duvall and tedx jacksonville it'll come up all right well thanks so much appreciate it thank you